0: I remember being cold and hungry and I remember saying to myself if you make it out of this alive you will never complain about anything ever again in your life hi this is Hannah and you are listening to Tapestry this is episode two episode two will be composed of me telling a little bit about my story and in the most non-narcissistic and selfish way I'd like to let you in on a little bit of where I'm at Um, because I feel like if you're going to listen to my podcast you should be able to trust me know a little bit about me I have freckles and red hair but I also was recently discharged from the military which is a huge plot twist because I'm really a huge hippie anyway the part of my story that seems to hold the most weight, um, starts at Lackland Air Force Base, where I was in boot camp for the Air Force. Um, my decision to join the military had stemmed from a long bucket list of cool shit that I wanted to do with my life that I made when I think I was 10, and I still have this list, and have thus far been going down, checking things off. However, I'm learning that through all of life's twists and turns, it's far more important to just be, to just enjoy the experience that you're having as it comes most naturally instead of rushing around trying to check things off your list. So think of that the next time you're in a grocery store. <laughs> just kidding. Stick to the list. Stick to the outside aisles. It's very scary. I decided to join the Air Force. My cousin is in the Air Force, my family has history, and I was going to be a medic, which is great. I was going to help people, and I wanted to prove that all different kinds of people can be in the military. You don't have to be right-wing, left-wing, you don't have to be A-wing, you just have to be a human that wants to serve the greater good. I tend to do things to the extreme um in my life it's been a series of extreme events from living in the jungle to joining the air force to driving cross country to build a life out here but i think it's important i think that you grow most beautifully outside of your comfort zone however i've also come to see a different perspective which has been very humbling which is that You can build your life in a way that's conducive to living in a comfort zone, but not being closed-minded. There's nothing wrong with feeling comfortable and happy, and I think sometimes we all feel a little bit of guilt for that, because we feel like we're not doing enough. Anyway, back to the Air Force. I had moved out to Colorado after a stint in the jungle, which I will get into in a different episode. I was living in Panama, I flew home to Boston and decided that, in order to keep going on my journey, I needed to do just that. I needed to keep going, or else I would stop, which is one of my greatest fears. A silly one, not one that I quite understand, but one that exists greatly in my heart. I packed up my car, drove cross country in two days with my big brother, and started a life in Colorado. The Air Force had always been in the back of my mind. Like, you know, that little voice that's telling you that you really need that midnight snack and you listen to it because you're like, God, I need to answer to this voice at the end of the day. I might as well be happy. I was worried if I didn't answer to the voice inside my head, I would always go through life wondering what if, which is not something that aligns with my values. Little did I know that something in the Air Force, something at boot camp. Something totally unrelated would actually jeopardize my life and make me think about all of the decisions I have made up until this point. I find that through the trajectory of life, we so often rush to the next decision um, before sitting in the discomfort of transitioning a little bit, which is something that I so often do and am learning from. As time goes on, in my wise old age of 23, (laughs) 23 going on 80, it feels like sometimes as I'm driving in corduroy pants and my square glasses, Um, anyway, I had just started to fall in love with Colorado after a few months, but still felt this little voice, heard it loud and clear in my mind saying, you must... Go do this thing. You must go do this thing that's going to grow you and that's going to make you largely uncomfortable and tear you away from more people that you've grown to love. And I thought that I had to just go. In hindsight, I'm not sure I would have. The intentions were still pure. I still wanted to serve. I feel very, very blessed to live in a country where I can go to school. I can have a podcast. I can be open about my sexuality. I can be whoever I want to be. I felt like it was my duty to serve. And I now am learning that lots of people feel that same way and serve every day of their lives, working with kids, working um, in the food industry, working in churches, working, serving. There are lots of ways to serve. Fast forward, I raised my right hand and enlisted in April. I then proceeded to fall in love with the state of Colorado and all of the wonderful people that I had met here until it was time for me to ship out in early September. The day drew near, our hearts drew heavy and I was getting ready to go. And for the first time in my life, it was the most terrifying and wonderful feeling. I didn't want to leave a place I didn't want to leave a place because I had made it. I had loved it. It felt like home. Boston will always be home. The people will always be my family. But now I had this new wonderful home and all these wonderful friends that I was leaving. And how could I? But the military isn't something that you can just so easily walk out of. Fast forward again, my best friend in the whole world, my person, dropped me off at the... Hotel that we were to stay in the night before we were to ship out And everything was kind of a blur I raised my hand again The people I loved the most hugged me goodbye and we said goodbye 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 and I'll never forget that day I ran back to the elevator to say one last goodbye really dramatically and I wished that I had jumped in it with them I do believe everything happens for a reason I'm not sure that it's all left up to fate I believe in decisions. I believe happy people are in control of their life. I believe we all lose control of our life at some points, but it's what we do after that builds us. We shipped out of Denver military station. And that morning, I found myself questioning everything I was doing. But then you just do, your body goes into survival mode It was 3 a.m. I was sitting on the floor, Lackland Air Force Base, all of us terrified about what was going to happen next. The next thing I knew, I was in boot camp without disclosing too much information. It was like the movies. There was lots of yelling. It was not fun. But I met some more amazing, incredible people that were also hard to leave in a different capacity. The part that was really interesting though was when my heart rate dropped and my life changed forever. The human heart fascinates me. It is this muscle that beats and beats and beats and just keeps going no matter what our mind says, it keeps going. And so I'm sure you can imagine a human's frustration when the heart slows down and it's not supposed to. The sunrises. Nothing could beat a boot camp Texas sunrise. Actually lots of things could beat it, but those were what I lived for when we were waking up at five, doing PT in the morning. And I couldn't believe that I was living this dream and wasn't too sure if it felt like a dream or a nightmare and While I have no terrible, terrible things to say about our country's military. I started to wonder about human communication, relationships. I felt like I was in one of those social experiments. You know, the one where half of the people were the prisoners and half were the guards. And it was crazy how the power struggle made them all act differently. Quite the same in boot camp, quite a mind game and the body follows the mind the mystery all started when we had to get immunizations just a part of boot camp part of military training and we were told that these immunizations were preventative for flu strep throat it made a little bit of sense lots of people crammed together in small spaces 24 7 Um, it seemed a little against knowledge and science and things that actually factually made sense. Um, the next immunization was for penicillin, to which I am allergic. I had to take an alternative pill. I was skeptical, was worried about anaphylactic shock, which was my reaction to penicillin. Had to take the pill anyway. To continue in the military, you need one of the two. And I wasn't about to let this dream die. I was almost halfway through boot camp. I was doing it. I missed home and I missed Colorado terribly, but I had made a promise a long time ago to stick to my word, to not be the person that I always was, to be truthful. The next morning, I woke up at 3 a.m. My throat was closing. I was sweating. Everyone rushed to my bedside, I had collapsed on the floor. I could feel my heart beat, beat, beating, slowly, but still beating. I went into kind of a daze. I remember someone holding me up saying, "Andry, trainee Andre, answer us. My body was failing me. They called the paramedics. My best friend there was holding me, telling me, promise her that I would graduate with her I did something that I regret they took my heart rate it was 30 a normal um, in comparison heart rate is 80 to 100 unless you run a lot of marathons which I did not I typically only ran when someone was chasing me on the rugby pitch they said we have to take her Her heart rate's too low. I remember the feeling of the cold straps as I was on the crash pad and they took me out and it was raining and everyone was pointing, saying, I know that girl. And then more blurriness. And I was in the ambulance with two of my airmen. They were watching over me, worried. I had an oxygen mask on, two IVs, and they started dripping atropine, which was meant to get my heart rate up. The following events are what changed the course of my life. Do you remember the show Ed, Ed and Eddie? Those three dudes that were always joking around, being best pals. Kind of what the paramedics were like in the ambulance. Joking around, telling me I'd be fine. My two wingmen sitting there One of them said, Andrew, you really can't be doing this. We need your goofy ass around. (laughs) Who's going to make us laugh at boot camp? I couldn't talk. I just tried to smile. I was watching the EKG machine. You know, the one that you see in Grey's Anatomy, and you've watched it so many times that as soon as your friend gets a paper cut, you're like, ooh, template, and you feel like you can fix everything. I was curious. Uh, I wasn't really worried yet until... Little moment um, that no one really knows too much about because it feels strange. Still, I still feel detached from the situation. Like I'm outside of it and I'm okay now. But there was a lot of beeping. I felt the panic. I felt my heart beat, beat, beating until it was so faint. I heard one of the paramedics say, "Oh shit." And then I heard the long beep, the one that you never really want to hear on the EKG. A flat line is what they call it. If you've ever read or seen The Giver, it's the idea that this one man in the community holds all of the memories and releases them as such in color, in vibrant color. That's what it felt like. People ask me, what was the other side like? Did you see the light? I don't really know i saw memories i could smell the brownies that my mom would bake in the kitchen and the sunlight coming through the window and i would lick the bowl and then get a tummy ache and i was suddenly at my family christmas party when i was 13. awkward teenager and then i was in college and then i saw my grandparents and all of these memories that I thought I had lost forever and I was so happy because they were there. And then I panicked because I thought, if I'm seeing these memories, is it the end of the one that is my life? I remember just being annoyed. I wasn't scared, I was annoyed because I had so much to do in life and I had so many people to call and I was cold and I was hungry and I was being a baby, but God, I wasn't ready to die seems like an aggressive word even now. I wasn't ready. They put a needle in my arm and pushed more atropine, which shot my heart rate up. I came to from what felt like a dizzy blackout. Heart rate went up, 30, 40, 50. There was relief. It didn't happen. It felt like it didn't happen. Everything was fine. That ambulance ride felt like an eternity and it was probably all of 20 minutes but i remember pulling up to the hospital and thinking god i just want to be back i'm missing classes i feel terrible my friends are missing classes um and it's funny hindsight's 20 but the things that we often find ourselves worrying about even in a day-to-day life are so minute in the big scheme of things. They matter, but do they matter? Are they worth the stress? They took me out of the ambulance, wheeled me into a room. I still couldn't talk to my family or friends. We thought it was just a minor blip, just a reaction to that pill I had taken. It was only the beginning, only the beginning. And my heart was beat, beat, beating. Sign these discharge papers, get your things, the bus is out front, and it'll take you back to base. This is what I heard from the nurse that was taking care of me. A little uncertain, I did as I was told, a little shaky on my feet, not sure what was happening. Um, We got on the bus and I remember getting in trouble because you always have to be wearing your uniform accordingly or else you get written up. I had forgotten my hat. How the hell could you explain to a military training instructor without being screamed at that you had forgotten your hat because your heart rate had dipped because you had an allergic reaction to a medicine, blah, blah, blah. Holy shit, get me back to the dorms. A week went by. A week of training. A week of classes. A week of skepticism. My friends checking in, but I was fine, as far as everyone knew. My training instructors showing lots of compassion, actually. Then a checkup, because you need to get a checkup with the military base after you've been discharged from the hospital. I remember seeing a major there. I remember being sat in this cold room and them telling me, your allergy is terms for dismissal from the military. I started crying, I was shaking. I had no idea why I was one, upset, two, I was being told that I needed to leave, Panic again. Things happen so quickly and then so slowly in the military. Hurry up and wait. I left the room. I met with the major. She said, We want to check you one more time. They hooked me up to the machine. Those pads cold on my chest. Heart rate 30. They said, I don't want you to panic, but we have to call 911. Your heart rate is too low. I panicked, naturally. What would you do? (laughs) I remember a really kind training instructor holding my hand. Everyone was looking at me like they felt bad for me, and I did not want anyone to feel bad for me. I just wanted them to fix me. I was trying to be kind and calm. I was also trying to be a trainee still. Trainee Andrew reports is ordered. The ambulance came. It was raining again. I was worried because you can be so quickly pulled away from your flight from your only family that exists there. One wingman came with me. She was worried. I kept telling her that it would be fine. My heart rate remained low until we got to the hospital. I was admitted overnight. The kind nurse gave me his cell phone and said, you should probably call your family. I called my dad and immediately broke down said don't worry about me but ugly cry pursued and two of my wingmen showed up and said we're here to take you back what's going on and I said I need your notebook I need to write the flight a letter because I don't think I'm coming back anytime soon I was still hungry (laughs) and um, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to explain myself to people. I was worried about my heart and its beat, beat, beat. They told me to make calls. They told me to say my goodbyes. I wrote my flight a letter and made my wingman promise to read it to them, to promise to tell them that I was proud of them and that they'd see me again one day. I hung up the phone with my family and my best friend and was taken up to the ICU, where they were to figure out what to do with me next. And that became much, much part of my life, trying to figure out what to do with the girl with the slow heartbeat, beat, beat. We're just not comfortable having her overnight. We're not trained for this. We're not sure what to do. Little did the nurses know, I was diligently eavesdropping on their conversation. One of them noticed. He said, don't worry, hun. your heart rate's very low. Our nurses on this floor can't quite handle it. I had just ordered dinner, (laughs) and I was worried about the silliest things, but they took me up to the intensive care unit and put me on a 24-hour monitor. The kindness and compassion that I received from the staff at the hospital blow me away to this day. The phone calls they gave me after I was out of the service. Everything. People are good when they're given a chance to be. I was put in my little room. The names of the 24-hour nurses changed over time. It was hard, the inconsistency, which I now value so much in my life, showing up. Showing the fuck up for people is what matters. And everyone showed up. Lots of tests, lots and lots of tests, and I was tired and scared. I had a hospital phone, which became my best friend. Like, the one that you had on your wall when you were a kid. The one with the windy cord. And you'd run around the corner when you were calling your crush. (laughs) I had one of those. I had a little notebook that I drew pictures in. And it was almost as if my mind went into survival mode and I was expecting to be really depressed and sad and scared, but all of a sudden I was the giver again. And I was choosing to only unleash these really happy, wonderful memories, kind of in little bubbles as a visual. They'd follow me into my sleep. They'd follow me everywhere I went. Candy canes at Christmas, (laughs) playing in the mud as a kid getting drunk off cheap wine in college with my best friends, playing rugby in Colorado. They were with me. The tests that determined that I had a heart condition that was not pre-existing was the treadmill test. I loathed it, I learned to loathe it, and I had to do it twice because the first time I couldn't finish it. They set you up on a treadmill and put a mask on, which makes you feel like you're Darth Vader in Star Wars. Um, A lot more spit, though, which is disgusting. I apologize. And they print out your heart rate as you go. A typical human heartbeat is supposed to go up to about 100 when um, performing exercise. Mine went up to about a 60 to 80, which was not high enough, still scary that my sitting heart rate was at 40, so bradycardia is the label that was placed on me, Um, it's just a low heart rate and it's kind of a mystery which my case proved to be, um, you know, people from the poison control unit came in, chaplains came in. And I remember thinking, God, don't send the chaplains in yet. I am not there. (laughs) Um, But I met all kinds of people who were just worried about me and wanted to figure out what was going on. Over the course of the next few days, I was told so many different things, but phone calls became my best friend. Calls to home. Calls to my high school friends, my college friends, my friends in Colorado, they saved me. And it was amazing to me that human compassion can actually make a heart rate go up. My best friend, my human, the same one that dropped me off at the hotel, called me and my heart rate shot up. And the doctors came in and saw me on the phone and were mesmerized because, for once, in the whole ordeal, love had trumped the science it was a bit of a miracle but the journey had just started you know when you're a little kid you think there's monsters under your bed it's a bit like staying in the icu for seven days sleeping was the hardest part and proved to be the hardest part even after i was scared to sleep because when i slept my heart rate dipped into the 20s, would set off all kinds of alarms, and the nurses would come in and make me do flutter kicks, which I learned to also loathe, um, to get my heart rate up, and night terrors would follow. What if I slipped when I was sleeping? What if I didn't wake up? But then Hannah came back and I showed up and you have to stay positive because at least there was someone there to wake me up. I have roommates that wake me up. I am not going to let this win. The nurses were funny and joked with me and talked to my friends on the phone. I got to eat. I made friends with the chaplain and the floor manager and people had it way worse than I did just down the hall. My best friend at boot camp said, it could always be worse and it can always get better. So wherever you are in between is okay. Just stay positive. That's where I had to be at. I could either be grumpy about everything, which would have been way too easy, or I'm alive. My heart is still beat, beat, beating. And <clears throat> my hospital gown was my favorite color, which is maroon. I got a baked potato every night. I could talk to my friends a I can live with that. She's too young for a pacemaker. I heard over and over again. My dear old dad had flown down from Boston just to be with me. We played cards and laughed, watched Modern Family, chatted. He was my hero. He always will be. Thanks, Dad. I had people fighting for me. And at this point, fighting to get me home. Like I said earlier, the military is not something that you can just walk out of. And if you thought walking out before you joined was hard, try walking out in the middle of it. It's not a walk, it's a hustle. It's a hustle to one stop sign and then the next, and then being told to turn back around and do it all over again. It's a get on your face and give me 50 trainee, because we're not sure what to tell you. Too young for a pacemaker. She needs to see a specialist. She needs to go to Boston and see if she can live with this condition. Fighting, fighting, praying. I found myself praying, something I hadn't done in a long time. I prayed God, if I can't do this, then get me home. Medhold is a place where trainees are sent when no one's quite sure what to do with them, when they will be taken out of the military, but not in a time that's conducive to going forward with your life. We'll give her a red flag. This is important. Fast forward, I was set up with a portable heart monitor. Doctors showed up for me, caseworkers showed up for me. They said my paperwork would be expedited so that I could have an honorable medical discharge from the military and be sent home to get follow up work done at a doctor in Boston communication is so important and when so many people are in charge it's hard to know who to communicate with it's easy to know that somewhere along the line kind of like the game telephone when you're a kid communication will be misconstrued when you're a trainee halfway through boot camp your voice is muted my things are packed up my dad had flown home and everyone's fingers were crossed. We don't believe you, you're just a trainee. How could you not believe me? I'm hooked up to a heart monitor, I need this, were the thoughts going on in my head. I was being transported in a van to Methold. my biggest nightmare. No time, no wisdom, nothing could tell you how long you were gonna be there, held. You couldn't talk to family, You had no power. If anything, I just wanted to be back with my flight if I couldn't be with my friends. And good thing the training instructor didn't believe me because he brought me right back to the barracks, heart monitor and all. I remember being so happy to see my training instructors who immediately turned into the most caring, compassionate people that I could have ever asked to be fighting my corner. To this day, still watch over me. Thank you. I was in a wheelchair. I was going to surprise my flight, and I was so excited to see them. Still scared of not knowing what was happening. No communication through the higher ups. We got a call on the intercom. Does Trainee Andrew have her cell phone? I was terrified. I'll spare you the nitty gritty details, but there was lots of yelling in my face. Lots of, you can't have this, taking the heart monitor taking my phone connected to it my training instructors defending me I saw my flight we cried and hugged they said Andrew we thought you were gonna make it we'll do this for you if you're listening to this I hope you're all out there in school graduated doing the damn thing I'm proud of you I knew you'd make it they took me down to a room with two of my closest trainees, who stayed with me through the night to make sure my heart rate didn't drop. The next day, I was to be brought to Medhold. My best friend held my hand the whole night and said, no matter what, you're stuck with me. I'll graduate for both of us. The next day proved to be the most dramatic ever. I remember hugging her and crying, not wanting her to leave me. We switched watches so that We would always be with each other. And they left. I was surrounded by strangers who told me, there's no telling how long you'll be in here. One girl in there for eight months, her baby and husband at home, one shipping home tomorrow, excited to see his mom, and me held in purgatory with the low heart rate, the girl with the low heart rate. Luckily, I think I had the fastest military discharge in history. Maybe. My folder was red flagged, which means that they need to get you out because something went seriously wrong. I.e. a little pill I took. Being a medhold was a blur. I didn't want to talk to anyone. The rooms were like prison cells. You didn't know who to cross, who to talk to. You didn't know the chain of command. I couldn't be alone. Everyone was worried about me flatlining at night, which is quite a pathetic feeling, but I thought I was going home. Nothing was real, though, until they called my name, handed me info for a flight, but everything up until that point was uncertain. Getting the flight, getting to the airport, getting the right clothes on, I felt like I wanted to be stripped of all of my inhibitions, all of my clothes, everything that was attaching me to this thing, this problem, bradycardia, slow heart rate, that wasn't me. Trainee Andre, your flight to Boston leaves at 2 p.m. Get in the van, hand back your card, and go to the airport. Was this a dream? Was I really going home? Your monitor will have to go with you. Good luck getting it through security. Beat, beat, beat. There were a few of us on the bus going to the airport, all being discharged for various reasons. Mental health, drug abuse, a slow heart rate. I couldn't lift anything over five pounds and I had lost 10 pounds and I kind of felt like one of those rag dolls hooked up to a bunch of wires, but happy. I felt free. The song I'm Coming Home played on the radio, which felt a bit cliche, but they dropped us off at the airport and I could breathe. I was going home to the people who loved me. And I learned through the whole experience that. Positivity won't save you, but it'll make it a lot less miserable. And leaning into love instead of running away from it is a far wiser choice. People will show up for you. And that no matter what, you have to show up for them in every capacity, no matter where you are. Selflessness will get you further than you could ever imagine and Whatever you manifest for your life will happen. Whatever you want to be will be. Slow heart rate or not can be full. And you can live the rest of your life being really, really intentional with who you give your heart to, who you give your time to. For really learning to appreciate freedom of going to the bathroom on your own, for having running water, for not being in the hospital, for being in a country that lets you speak, no matter what your views on the military are. I learned so much about myself, about things I didn't agree with, about learning to be amicable with those things. I learned so much about confidence and self-love, and the journey ahead was trying, but friendship and love have prevailed thus far. And my heart rate is still slower than normal, but my heart is fuller than it was before. And I would not be who I am. I would not meet who I've met. I would not say thank you for the things I think if not having that experience. Show up, love, and don't let anything slow you down. Thank you for listening to a part of my story. Hi, this is Hannah. And you just heard my (laughs) scary military story. And from now on, I'm far more interested in hearing yours. So give me a call. Call me, beat me. (laughs) And share your thoughts. More of my story will unfold. Um, The time, you won't know, but... Let me hear about what fills your heart up. This is Tapestry. Until next time. Thank you.